Friends, if you have your Bibles, I hope that you do, uh, you can turn in them to 1 Peter chapter 1 with me. 1 Peter chapter 1. And this morning we're going to look at verse 22 down through chapter 2, verse 3. Let's read this together. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Would you pray with me this morning? Father in heaven, we come needy this morning. We come desperate for you. This text, which is about building a, a godly community together and loving one another for your glory, Lord, we just acknowledge as we begin, we need your help in this. Would you guide us as a church family in how to love each other more and how to be used by you as a united church family? Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable and pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. This past week as a nation, we, we celebrated Martin Luther King Jr. Day, uh, a day which is appropriately reserved on our calendars to celebrate the life of a man who fought for racial reconciliation in America. Martin Luther King Jr. is a hero to us. On the day before Martin Luther King Jr., uh, on the night before he was assassinated, he gave a speech that has been remembered ever since. In that speech, he acknowledged the, the difficult days ahead. He did not at all paint a picture of what those, a quaint picture of what those days would look like. No, he knew that there would be great cost to himself and to those who followed him as they stood for racial reconciliation. But he also spoke about hope. He said that he had been to the mountaintop and that he had seen the promised land and that he knew that he would get to that promised land. And then he spoke about how they, himself and all those that were with him, they as a people would get to the promised land as well. Here are a few of his exact words. He said, we've got some difficult days ahead but it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop. I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. That we as a people will get to the promised land. Martin Luther King Jr. knew that he had hope. He had been given a vision, but he also knew that in order to move towards that hope, that they needed to walk down that road together. He also said at another time, we cannot walk 
alone. And he said, we must learn to live together as brothers or perish together as fools. Martin Luther King Jr. knew that there was strength in standing together. He knew that there was hope and that that hope should unite, that that hope should galvanize a people together who were willing to live for that hope no matter the cost to themselves. He said, we must not walk alone. Friends, the same is true for us as the church. Peter has given us a great stone of hope to stand on, a very sure foundation, and he has made it clear that this hope is guaranteed to us and that that hope is to lead us inevitably towards a change in how we live, towards holiness. But now, as a way to strengthen us even more in our hope and in our pursuit of holiness, as a way to further stabilize us as we live for God, he wants us to consider how we are living for God, not in isolation, not as just individuals, but together as the people of God. The community that we are building. Friend, I wonder what you think of when you think of the ideal church community. The ideal experience of of friendship and and brotherhood and and fellowship and communion together. What do you think of? What what do you long for in your Christian fellowship? More meals? More more activities? More more fun memories being made together? Deeper fellowship? more, More vulnerability? What do you long for in the experience of living life together as God's chosen people? Peter wants to help us to know what to value as we think about what a godly community should be. For for Martin Luther King Jr., the hope for the future was dependent on whether people could stand together now or not. But for us, our hope is not dependent on our unity, but rather our hope, Peter tells us, inevitably leads to our unity. And it's for our good. Last week, as we studied together, we saw that that hope leads to holiness, and now Peter gives us a very specific application of that. Here's the main idea this morning. Hope leads to unity. Hope leads to unity. And we have three points to look at this morning as as we seek to understand this and to answer the question, how does hope lead to unity? Three ways. Point number one, Hope fuels love. Point number two, hope fights division. And point number three, hope focuses on Jesus. Okay, that's where we're headed. Let's look at them one at a time, beginning with point number one, hope fuels love. Look at verse 22 with me. It says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. Now, what in the world does Peter mean there? Does he mean that we are able to save ourselves by our obedience to the truth? Are we able to purify ourselves in God's sight enough for him to then accept us? No, that that can't be what he means because we've already seen throughout 1 Peter that salvation is entirely the work of God in our lives. It's not a matter of our own obedience. We can't purify ourselves enough before God in order for him to accept us. That's not possible. But what Peter is saying here is that these Christians who are already established in their faith and have been accepted by God through the sacrifice of his son have already begun to build their life of holiness on the foundation of hope that they've been given. 
They've already begun to purify their souls by their obedience to the truth. They're growing in godliness. They're being sanctified. And that's really, really good. But now, notice how how Peter wants to highlight the the, the purpose or, or the goal of their obedience to the truth. It says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Peter's making the very clear point that their hope, our our salvation, which is entirely the work of God and not of us, that hope leads to holiness, and that holiness, it has a primary context for its expression and for its application, and that context is within the family of God, within the church. That's what the, the small preposition for there points towards. As Christians, hope leads to holiness, and our holiness is to prioritize, in a sense, the family of God. Do you see this here? Do you see how Peter wants to highlight the the family nature of of who we are? We can see it in our passage from, from last week when Peter refers to us as obedient children up in verse 14. Then he speaks of, of the one that we call upon as, as father, up in verse 17. And then here in verse 22, he speaks of us in our brotherly love for each other. And then down in chapter 2, he's going to speak of us as a household or as a chosen race. These are all family terms. So, so do you see what Peter's doing here? He's, he's both increasing our hope as he tells us that a very central part of who we are as the redeemed people of God is that we belong to a family. That's really good news. You are not an exile in this world alone. You are part of a very big family. And he is directing us to a primary application for our pursuit of holiness. Our holiness is not just supposed to stand alone in an individual sense. No, it is supposed to be joined to others within this family of God. That's what he's telling us. Now, why? Why does Peter prioritize this this family love and this, this priority of unity and a sincere brotherly love? Why does he prioritize it so early in his letter? Why is this important? Well, here's why. He prioritizes this because he knows that the unity of the church, our love for one another, is God's, one of God's primary ways of, of caring for the world that we live in. We, we are going to see this, this more next week, but, but our unity as God's people is, is supposed to be a, a megaphone of, of sorts in God's hands. Our unity is supposed to be an instrument through which God loudly declares his power and his goodness to those who do not know him in this world. So our unity is a really big deal because God wants to use our unity to draw people to himself. So that's one reason why Peter goes here right away. But he also focuses us here because he knows that this sort of family love, this sort of unity is hard. It's difficult. It takes work. Peter's going to talk a lot about different kinds of relationships within the church throughout his letter. And it's clear in all of them that there are significant challenges to them. In chapter 3, he, he's going to talk about community again, and he speaks of the need to have a, a tender heart and a humble mind. 
That's because he knows that relationships can be hard and our, our sinful pride can get the better of us and get in the way of unity. There's, there's something inherently costly and something inherently difficult to what Peter is saying here in verse 22. He, he tells us to love one another earnestly and from a pure heart. That word earnestly speaks of an unremitting love, a, a persistent love. Folks, persistence is only necessary when things are not easy. Peter's call in verse 22 would not even be necessary if love for each other always came easily. It doesn't. It's hard. It's costly. But church, have you ever thought that maybe there's something in the difficulty of our love for one another that is what makes our unity in the church so powerful? Jesus himself said, that the world around us would know us by our love for each other, right? But in order for that to be true, that means that there is something distinct about our love, something different about our love, right? If, if we as the church are going to be known by our love, well, then our love has to be distinct in some way from those around us. And I think that the distinction of our love is found in this, in its earnestness and in its purity, which Peter speaks of in verse 22. Our love is distinct and that we don't love only as long as it's easy to love. No, that's not who we are. We love in a persistent and in a sacrificial, selfless way. He says that love comes from, from a pure heart. That's speaking of, a, of an unselfishness in our love for each other. It's, it's love that doesn't love in order to be loved right back, right? A lot of love in this world is really only the pursuit of self because we want people to give us something in return. But if that's your motivation for love, that, that's not truly love at all. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. That's not love. That's a business transaction. But, but love that comes from a pure heart is love that loves simply because that is the call upon our lives with no expectation of anything in return. Ch church life would be would be so easy if church was just made up of best friends and people who we found easy to get along with. Wouldn't it be easy? But if that was the case, we might have the appearance of love, but there would be nothing earnest, nothing pure, nothing distinct about that love. No, it is, it is when we start getting to know each other, isn't it? It's when we start spending extended time together and getting into each other's lives that it, it becomes costly. Oh, wait, we're not as much alike as we thought that we were. Oh, we have different personalities. Oh, wait, we have different convictions. We're, we're living life in different ways, different backgrounds, different political views. Oh, wait, their personality actually really annoys me. <laughs> oh, wait, I don't like their presence on social media. Oh, wait, our kids don't get along like we thought they did. It's, it's when we start seeing all of this in each other that the call to love each other is going to be hard. It's when we start trying to, to fellowship in a, in a deeper way and to give a sincere care to one another despite our differences that, that unity that God calls us to will become costly. It is so much easier to stay home and watch Netflix than to go to fellowship group with people who are different from you, isn't it? It just is. But there's nothing distinct about that. 
Peter charges us to, to an earnest and pure love because it is this that makes our unity and our love distinct. And it's this that will be used by God to loudly, clearly proclaim the excellencies and the glories of Christ to a lost and needy world. Why? Well, because this sort of love, this forbearance, this patience, this gentleness, this persistence, it's only possible by the grace and mercy of God. Which is exactly what Peter says. Look at it. Peter charges us to this earnest love. And then look at verse 23. He says, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Peter's saying that, that this sort of love is possible in your life today because your hope is not in being loved back by those around you in this world. Nope, that's not how we love as Christians. We are able to love because our hope is in that we have been loved and made alive by God himself. And we will not die. I love how Peter continues to cite Old Testament scriptures throughout his letter and how he uses the quote from Isaiah here to make his point. He says, all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls but the word of the Lord remains forever. Gra grass and flowers are beautiful, but they will not remain. Peter's saying that we can, we can love one another in this sacrificial and selfless way within the church because we are not just living for the temporary experiences of friendship like this world understands them. No, we are building something that will last for eternity. Our flesh longs for certain things in community, doesn't it? Our flesh needs a BFF, right? Our, our flesh needs those really close and really tight and really fun relationships that we look on Instagram and it seems like everybody else has. Our, our flesh needs a fellowship group experience where, where everyone is like us and easy to be around. Our flesh can paint a picture of the, of the ideal community and we can crave it and even idolize it. But often what we crave and idolize is actually just like a pretty flower that's gonna wilt and die in a few days because it's not of God. But listen, God's word remains forever. We who are in the gospel as a family, we will last forever. And so what we value and what we prioritize in relationships and in community and how we love one another, it's all shaped by that. It's not that we shouldn't want to have best friends. It's not that we shouldn't hope for and pray for really strong and healthy and even fun relationships. But it's that our cravings can sometimes get in the way of what God really wants to do in our lives and in the lives of those around us. When we long for and when we idolize some form of friendship or community that we, that we think is important, that we think that we need, we forfeit so much of what God wants for us in the community that we already have. Peter says, don't long for a type of community that your flesh is dreaming of. Long for the kind of community that God is building and that God is promising to use. And so, friends, how can you prioritize the church more in your life? How can you pursue true community? 
Is it coming more regularly and investing in a, in a more significant way? Is it, is it finally taking a step to go to, to fellowship group in order to, to ha- be in other people's lives and to have them be in your life? Maybe even changing your work schedule to make it possible? What, what do you need to do to, to press into this community that God is calling you to? Also, who is God calling you to be more united to? Who is in the church that requires your your earnest, your persistent love and and your pure love? Rather than seeing that person as an obstacle to the relationships that you want to have for your life, maybe you can see that person as, as central to the relationships that God wants you to have for your life and the work that he's doing in the church. Hope fuels love. Hope gives us vision for what God is building in the body of Christ, and it gives us a a holy zeal, an earnestness, a resolve to love each other in this way. Folks, that brings us to our second point. Point number two, hope fights division. So hope fuels love, and now hope fights division. Do do you see the flow of what Peter is, is doing here, what he's saying here? He, he says that they have begun to grow in holiness. That's, that's really good. He says that their holiness has a, has a primary application within the church for a sincere brotherly love. That's really good. And he says that this is all possible because of the eternal hope that we have in the gospel. We are born imperishable. And so, if all of that is true, it only makes sense for Peter to say what he says next. Chapter 2, verse 1. So... Or because of all of this, put away, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Hope fights division. Hope leads to unity and it does so by pushing back against these things that cause division. This is what Peter is saying. He's saying if you really are part of the the imperishable family of God, which Christian here this morning, if your faith is in Christ, you are. Well, then he says, it makes zero sense to participate in things that will cause divisions among you. If, if you are a family and you have eternity before you and you are called to live in a way that, that loudly proclaims the beauty and the glories of Christ, it makes no sense to participate in thoughts and words and actions that divide. Do you see this in verse 1? The nature of these things that Peter says to to put away, these are all social sins. Sins that break unity rather than cultivate unity. Malice, anger towards others. Lying, not telling the truth in a way that helps ourselves and harms others. Slander, speaking untrue things about others behind their back in order to do damage to their reputation. Hypocrisy, being insincere, saying one thing is right and true in fellowship group and then going and living a different way at home. Envy, envy, not just wanting what others have but not wanting them to have it at all. All of these things divide. All of these things separate. Karen Jobes in her commentary says this, the vices listed in chapter 2.1 that must be put off are those that destroy relationships and hence that destroy community. Folks, have you ever tried to to build a sandcastle too close to the waves on the beach? It's almost impossible 
because the waves keep knocking it down or because the sand is too wet and won't stick together. If you want to build a, a sandcastle, you need to move away from the water. You need to get on more stable sand and not be near to the waves. That, that's true for unity in the church. If, if God is building us into a united family, which he says that he is, if he's calling us to be a, a chosen race and a holy nation who proclaim the excellencies of Christ, well, then God wants to move us away from the waves of gossip the waves of slander and deceit and hypocrisy and all those things that can crash on a community and break it apart. Listen, uh, we, we love the unity that God is building here at Redeemer Fellowship. Every day, we thank God for the work that he's doing and for the unity that we are enjoying as a church family. But, but Redeemer Fellowship, unity needs to be fought for. And one of the primary battlefields to fight for it is in how we think and speak about each other and talk to each other about others. Peter says, put all these harmful things away. Put them away. Church family, member of Redeemer Fellowship, what, what is a radical way that you can put away malice in your life this week? What is a radical way that you can put away slander and gossip in your life or, or deceit? Now, thankfully, I, I don't think that there are many of us who are just screaming at others in the church very often. That's, that's not what we do. Not many of us are getting on our, our social media and, and talking about how much we hate our fellowship group members. That's, that's not how we roll. We're better than that. But that doesn't mean that malice is not present in our hearts towards others. That doesn't mean that anger isn't shown in our comments about each other or that we don't gossip about others within the church. All of these, the, these divisive traits that Peter speaks of, they can all come in far more subtle ways and means than we might first think. But look at what he says. He says, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Not just the big stuff. Peter wants us to put away Anything that makes loving each other more difficult. Anything that breaks our unity and our sincere brotherly love. And so church member, what can you stop doing right now in your life that makes unity difficult for those around you? What can you put away? Can you soften the way that you say things? It may not even be that there's sin in what you say, but if you continually say things in a way that brings division, maybe you need to consider whether you're loving those around you as you should. Can you be less critical of those around you? What is it that God would call you to do to, to push back division and to cultivate this sort of godly unity together? This is a, this is a challenging call from Peter. It's, it's specific. He, he wants you, Christian, to think intentionally about how you're going to do this in your life. It's essential for the unity that God is building in our church. And he tells us, he tells us that we can do all of this as hard as it is because we are born again of an imperishable seed. We can do this because of the gospel and the hope that we have in him. Which brings us to our third and final point this morning. Hope focuses on Jesus. 
It focuses on him. I love where Peter ends this section. He, he calls us to love one another sincerely. He, he calls us to put away all of these divisive traits. And then he says this, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. I love that. You know, I think many of us might think that Peter is talking about the, the word of God primarily here. There, there are other places in Scripture that God uses milk to describe the, the nourishment of God's word. But, but I don't think that's the primary application here. Peter's not talking about longing for God's word and, and, and wanting us to have better devotional times. That's cert- certainly an application. But, but more fundamentally, Peter is talking about longing for Jesus himself. He's talking about the good news that was preached to us up in verse 25. He's talking about the gospel. As newborn infants, he says, long for the nourishment that can come only from your Savior, Jesus Christ. Long for more of Jesus. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. He's he's highlighting that, that Jesus is the initiator and the sustainer and the completer of our life and of our community. It all begins with him. It all is sustained by him. It will all end with him. Friend, if you have tasted that he is good, Peter says, don't stop wanting more of him. Just keep going after him. And church, doesn't he taste good? Doesn't he taste good? Haven't we experienced the grace and the mercy of God in a way that satisfies our souls? We who were enemies of God, we've been made alive by his grace. We've been spared his judgment. We have been welcomed into an eternal family through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. We have been forgiven of our sins. Can you believe that? You're forgiven. The baggage you once carried, it's not yours to carry anymore. No more shame. No more, no more just turning the mistakes over in your mind over and over. It's not yours to carry anymore. Christ is to nourish your soul. Christ is the manna for your soul. He is life for us. He is the milk and he is the bread of life. There's no one like this Jesus And he's now everything to us. Through him we have been born again to a living hope. He has given us life and he's now keeping us alive. Just like a baby is born and doesn't survive long apart from his mother. Friend, you will not survive long apart from your Savior. He is your sustenance. He is your nourishment. Apart from him, you die. This is who our Savior is. And so think about this in the context with me. In the context of this passage, Peter is giving us ways to grow in unity, to grow as a community. And what he says here is that unity, true community, sincere brotherly love is found in a group of people who long for Jesus together. Folks, this is how we build community. Hope focuses on Jesus. This is how we do life together as God's people, as imperfect as we are. This is how we fight against divisions. We long for more of him together. And friends, here's how, what this does in a practical sense. When we long for more of Jesus, we long for what unites us together and not for what divides. 
When, when we each long for, for more of Jesus, we begin to long for the same thing. And the longer we long for that, the closer it brings us. Rather than just longing for our personal preferences for what community should be like. In this context, this, this longing for Jesus is what unifies, is what joins us together in an almost unbreakable bond. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his excellent book on Christian community, says that the sooner we lay our dreams and hopes and our idealistic ideas of what we want our church community to be, the sooner we, we set those ideas aside, he says, the sooner we will experience the fullness of what God wants our church community to be. And he says, we will not be disappointed. He says that the, the problem is, is that we all have this ideal in our minds of what we want community to be. This is what we want in relationships. And because we all have our differing perspectives, we can't satisfy each other. But he says this, he says, the sooner we become, I love this, disillusioned and disappointed by our own ability to find our perfect community, he says the better we will be because that's the sooner that we will find the richness of the community that God is building in and through us. He says, he who loves his dream of a community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter. You love your dream of what you think church life should be more than what God seems to be doing in your midst right now. You become a destroyer of what God is doing. You, you fight against it. That's, that's brilliant. And it's so true. Long for your idea of what fellowship and community should be and it will separate, it will divide. But focus on Jesus and the work that he has done and the work that he is doing and suddenly we're all drawn together to the same place. Friends, this is so essential for us as we continue to grow as a young church family. As the Lord slowly adds to our numbers, the, the only way for us to remain united, the only way for us to be used by God in the, in the Newark area to proclaim his excellencies is if we long for more of Jesus together. Longing for more of him will press us towards one another. Longing for more of him will give us the right priorities in church. Longing for more of him will not allow room in our hearts for malice and deceit and hypocrisy. Longing for more of him, long for more of him, and we will experience the richness of church life that God intends for us all to have and to know and to enjoy. And so do you see how hope leads to unity? Peter wants unity for us. Our, our, our family love, our, our family commitment, our sincere care for one another is essential to our joy and to us being who God has called us to be. And hope fuels love for that purpose. Because we realize that we have been born again, not with perishable seed, but with imperishable. And we don't need to try to create a worldly understanding of community for ourselves that will fade like the grass. We have something eternal to build towards. Hope leads to unity in that it fights back division. We are able to turn away from everything that divides because we're not prioritizing ourselves but those around us by the grace of God. And hope leads to unity because it focuses us all on Jesus. Martin Luther King Jr. said, there are hard times ahead, but I've climbed the mountain and I have seen the promised land. He knew where they were going and he knew that that vision would unite them together. Friends, 
God has great things in store for us as we set our eyes on Jesus and as we pursue this this unity and peace which is only possible by his grace and only possible when we set our eyes on our great and glorious Savior.